Okay, just before the music rolls on this one, we're going to have a bit of a podcast first and put an age rating on this episode. We are. We've got some content that we feel very young children ought to be out of earshot for. (laughs) So put them to bed before you listen. (laughs) All will become clear. Welcome back, everybody, to Emma and Tom's PGC podcast. And I'm hoping, or we're hoping, that you feel very rested because it's Friday of half term. It is, unless you're in England, of course. In oh, which case, yeah, sorry about that. You've just gone back. But yes, <laughs> we are sticking to Wales times. It's half term. And our tradition now is to do something a little bit lighter for the holidays, which is nice, given how hysterical, quite frankly, we sounded at the end of the last episode. <laughs> we did we were just excited (laughs) hopefully you enjoyed that and it gave you lots of food for thought and you were just as excited as we were in that coffee shop (laughs) yes we were a bit overexcited also because i had been speaking at that conference and had been too nervous to eat anything but had drunk three cups of coffee so (laughs) you hadn't eaten it i gave you some cookies come on two cookies two cappy two cookies and three cups of coffee was what i'd had sugar and caffeine is like a standard diet isn't it i'm sure the teachers out there will be able to uh (laughs) be familiar with that so we are calm this week we are calm um and we're going to do our usual kind of half-term, pared-back, relaxed session, a little bit shorter than normal, and we're going to bring you uh, something we've been reading. I think that's going to come from Tom. Yes. Um, a tweet uh, and a lovely gift, a lovely story of teaching that's going to come to you from our fantastic friends at, at Them What Pod. So, Tom, are you going to kick us off? I am. So, yes, we're just going to give you some goodness from the internet instead of going all heavy and research-informed on you. It's, it's light and fluffy and internet based so uh, the previous one of these Easter time we did a blog a tweet and a story I suppose this counts as a blog it's a regular column in the Guardian um, by Oliver Berkman who writes about kind of well-being and how to sort of sort your life out and things like that so this I suppose is standing in for our normal well-being slot Um, yeah so something for us to think about something for us to think about most definitely I'm all ears yeah um, this one is headlined overwhelmed by your to-do lists try this simple solution oh okay yeah, and the subheading is the effects of this technique are extraordinary so strap in this is <laughs> oh you definitely got me okay <laughs> yeah got you grabbed so um i'm gonna kind of pracy this as we go along but he starts with the term burnout dates to 1974 but judging from the media and many people i know it's the official diagnosis of 2019 yeah In a widely shared essay, the BuzzFeed writer Anne Helen Peterson described her own burnout and the associated task paralysis, leaving her unable to complete basic chores. So this idea that we get so kind of log jammed with things to do that we just kind of don't know where to start. We can't even do a basic thing. We're just kind of sitting there um, staring at our to-do list in a panic. And I think we can all kind of sympathize with that as teachers can't we I know I I, one memorable year I used to go five days without a free period and when a free period finally kind of rolled around on the sixth day I just didn't know what to do yeah (laughs) and you really want to be like productive in that PPA time but you kind of see yourself staring into your into your computer screen not knowing where to start yes so Oliver Berkman says he's got one technique he recently found that's more useful than any other and uh, better suited to this era era of exhaustion and overwhelm limiting work in progress 
He says, uh, this originates in the Japanese system of industrial scheduling, known as Kanban. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. You know this, do you? It all comes out of Japan, doesn't it? All of this efficiency, you know, structure, like really sensible approaches to managing workload. I, I just... We we salute you, Japan. We do. We're going to go to an international conference there, I think, get an excuse to go over. <laughs> <laughs> so, apparently, the idea here is you fix a small upper limit to the number of tasks you'll be working on at any one time, say three. Then you add no further tasks to your plate until you've finished at least one. When there are only two tasks remaining in your work in progress, you can bring in one more and so on. So the Kanban system visualises this using post-its on a whiteboard arranged in columns. Each task moves from the to-do column to doing to done. And if your work in progress limit is three, there should never be more than three notes in doing. Interesting. So he says the effects are extraordinary. By limiting work in progress, you feel your finite capacity. So the counterproductive urge to start 15 tasks naturally subsides. Without trying, you find yourself breaking projects down into doable chunks because if write book or get new job is one of your tasks, it'll jam things up for months. Wow. Yeah. So above all, this way of working brings a deeply satisfying sense of having a foothold on things. Benson and Barry, who who wrote about this, uh, they say linearly finishing one task before embarking on the next commitment becomes addictive, a pattern and eventually a habit. The obvious objection, says Oliver Berkman, is that you have too many demands on your time to limit work in progress to three. Yeah, I can... uh, Mm, I can relate to that. (laughs) They're all all urgent. They're all there. I'm not even going to look at my to-do list and tell you how many things are on there, but I know it doesn't fit on one screen. No. But he says that's a misunderstanding. You already can't do more than a handful of things at once. If the world demands you do a hundred, that's an impossible request. Your only options are to choose consciously which ones will have to wait or choose unconsciously. And to be clear, yeah, none of this is a magic solution to burnout. Instead, it's a repudiation of magic solutions, a liberatingly down-to-earth engagement with how things really are. And the truth shall set you free. Absolutely. So, yeah, I love that point that he makes, because I must admit I was reading this thinking, yeah, but, yeah, but my to-do list is huge. I can't just be doing three... But he's right. If you don't consciously pick the three you're going to be working on, then they're going to unconsciously pick themselves. Yeah, that's so true. And I guess the wider message is that you have, you do have control and you actually have a limited amount of things that you physically can do. So you might feel like you need to do them all. But, you know, just the plain science of it is that you can't. Yeah. So there we go. If you are sitting around in half term wanting, what would it be, a new half terms resolution or something like that? Anyway, that might be one to think about. Decide what three things you're going to do. Park everything else and and don't put anything else on your plate until you only have two. I think that's really practical, useful solution. And that Kanban board came up in a session, actually, that I was delivering on the PGC programme here at Cardiff Met the other week. It was a strategy um, for... Uh, working more efficiently. What was it called, that session? Oh, Working Smartly, Working Smartly, yeah. that was the one. And the lovely June Herkin put that session together and a Kanban board was something that was in there. I spoke to my other half about it and lo and behold, in the world of engineering, <laughs> once again, they have colour-coded, traffic-lighted Kanban boards that they work on on a weekly basis. Is that... That's just, you know, cross-fertilisation again. Just looking at the wall of the office is a space for a Kanban board in We here. need a Kanban board, don't we, in we our do. lives? We do. 
There Fantastic. we go. So there we go. It wasn't a blog. It's a kind of regular column, but it, it's a, a tip. It's an idea. It's maybe something you can do to take hold of your to-do list between now and Christmas. Fantastic. Okay. Well, um, my uh, contribution this week is a tweet, but it's also something to try. <laughs> Look at us. We're just so multitasking. I know. So it's a practical tip. Um, we've talked in the past about homework and homeworks that um, are useful. I can't remember what episode. I'm sure we were talking about it in relation to Hattie. Yeah, Hattie's um, got a lot to say on homework. Yeah, um, and and what homework's are meaningful. And I, I happened upon this tweet, um, which comes from Miss KP10, at Miss KP10. And her description or her, her biog is a history teacher, director of humanities, ready to join, hashtag edutwitter, bookworm and crafty type and I think she's uh, she's based in the West Midlands in mm. England I'm not sure I'm ready to join edu twitter but there we are <laughs> oh okay <laughs> edu twitter I, yeah I, I back away slowly from edu twitter but there we are <laughs> that's a conversation for another day okay so what she posted um is so this was the tweet what a lovely week I may have hit tired now because this was towards the beginning of the term but the engagement of students with these has been so lovely happy weekend all and then she's put hashtag aim for excellence hashtag ges humanities hashtag team humanities hashtag history teacher hashtag ges history okay so a bit of a shout out there to all the hashtags now let me describe what's in the picture these are um little cards headed with history learning postcard and they've got three bubbles on them one is please ask me about charles the first i should be including divine right of kings the great chain of being parliament and religion there's a bit for a parent or carer to sign and the main bit is a bubble which asks how well was your child able to explain what they've been learning about and did you learn anything interesting and then the parent slash carer has written a response um and i'll just read to you um one that was said um i was uh, my my child was able to tell me about the great chain of being the parliament of the time and the fact that Charles did not attend for 11 years and the issues about religion. He could not remember what the divine right of kings was, but I googled it and started to describe it. And he took over and gave me a detailed summary. Top work. I just thought, wow, I th- you know, this is clearly a really meaningful homework to begin with because it's it's retrieval practice. And, and I've read a lot about how retrieval practice homeworks are, are really helpful for learners. They don't take too much time um, you know, they're not having to do a lot of deep thinking that would potentially be quite difficult for some learners on their own. You know, there's incentive to do it with the parent. Um, the parent gets to find out something. They have to respond. You know, it, it's just I, I just thought it was a really nice idea, um, quite simple uh, and a really good way of the teacher being able to kind of di- diagnose um issues and misconceptions and areas to return back to um, with the help of the parents. I love that. One of the things I learnt very early on in my teaching career was that involving the parents is a really good idea. They actually want to get involved and 
the kids are terrible for going home, you know, and the parents say, oh, what did you do in school today? They're like, oh, nothing much. And, and actually, the parents really want to know what's going on, a lot of them, and they want to help. And to be really cynical about it, even if they don't want to help, at least if they know, then, you know, they can't tell you that you didn't warn them that things were not going well or something. I just found that binding them into the whole process made the whole thing feel a lot better. And they used to be really grateful for it in the main. Yeah, and, and I guess it's worth mentioning as well that we're giving a shout out here to not just parents, but anyone who has a stake in their child's education who's working with that child who's in the home and who can potentially be someone to help out with the homework um just try it try it give it a go i'm i'm it, i'm i'm definitely thinking about uh telling my drama lot to try this out yeah I, I think i saw something on twitter the other day saying that some teachers saying how good it was to to write letters home when pupils have been good you know i used to do that loads yeah um but people you know there's a lot of the kids only get a letter home when they've been really really naughty in fact once a, a pupil came up to me looking quite annoyed and said sir sir you wrote me that letter home i said yeah yeah i wrote you a nice letter home. he said yeah but my parents saw a letter with a school stamp on it and started telling me off before they'd even opened it <laughs> Oh, gosh, no, you're right. Parents and carers and anybody who looks after that child really wants to know when they've been good as well as when they've been bad. There we go. Something to try. We're rattling through these. So we've got a story each. We have. Uh, shall I bring you mine? Yeah, go on, you I've go just first. just printed it out and I can't see where it's come from. I'm pretty sure it was the Washington Post. It was definitely an American newspaper website. Okay. This one's a little bit previous because it has got a bit of a festive flavour to it. Ooh. So sorry about that. If you're the kind of person who doesn't like the Christmas carols in the shops in October, this is going to really annoy you. <laughs> but uh, it, it's a bit like my last one. If you If you were listening to our Easter special a little while ago it was a cautionary tale that one and uh, i do like to warn my pgc students off uh, you know the pitfalls of the classroom is this gonna make my toes curl um i'm not entirely sure really oh gosh strap in you know me here we go <laughs> so um a new jersey substitute teacher uh, shattered the hearts of a class of first graders by telling them that santa claus and his eight reindeer weren't real and then it got a lot worse. How old are eight graders? First graders. First graders. I don't know, but they're pretty small, aren't they, first graders? I don't oh know. My uh, American listeners, you can tweet us and let us know. But we, yeah. we can guarantee they're not very big. Okay. So, yes, told them that Santa Claus and the eight reindeer weren't real. And then it got a lot worse. She proceeded to just completely unleash on them, said stunned parent Lisa Cmac, whose daughter Amelia was in the class at Cedar Hill School in Montville. Oh my gosh. She told them Santa isn't real and parents just buy presents and put them under their tree. She <gasps> told them reindeer can't fly oh my and gosh, elves are not real. Saying this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hope there's no children listening. <gasps> and elf on the shelf is just a pretend doll that your parents move around. She did not even stop there. The tooth fairy is not real because <gasps> mum and dad just sneak into your room in the middle of the night and put money under your pillow. Same goes for the Easter bunny. <laughs> oh, Oh, what had happened to this poor woman? She told them magic does not exist. No! <laughs> There's no such thing as magic anything, CMEC wrote. A grown woman tried to crush our six-year-old spirits along with the spirits of the other 22 kids. Six. One oh. parent said the substitute teacher's rant even targeted leprechauns. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just casual <laughs> racism. Some of the children re refused to believe the Scroogey sub known as Miss M when she announced the Christmas spirit stomping news on Thursday. The children began yelling that everything is real, one parent wrote on Facebook. My daughter is completely heartbroken. 
The substitute teacher's cold-hearted behaviour came to light because another adult who was in the room at the time reported it to the school's principal, according to district officials. The principal, rightly predicting an outcry over the Christmas jeer, swiftly drafted a letter to parents that evening. He told the parents he was giving them a heads up in case their kids had questions about whether St Nick was legit. I'm writing so you're aware of the situation and if the conversation comes up at home over the next few days, you can take appropriate steps to maintain the childhood innocence of the holiday season, he said in a letter, a copy of which was obtained by the Washington Post. So, yes, I did actually look this one up for a follow up and apparently um, she was sacked. And uh, in the statement um, sacking her from the school district, the uh, the principal of that school referred to it as the Santa matter. Oh, my goodness. That is. Oh, it's shocking. But I, I kind of feel bad for her. Why? 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 Whatever possessed her to, to do that? Student teachers don't do this. Oh my gosh, we're going to have to put a disclaimer on this episode. We are. We're going to have to. An age rating. I have to go on Apple Podcasts and put I'm an age sh- rating. Yeah, we, we, we really are. And I'm, <laughs> I'm serious. We can't be shattering children's dreams. <laughs> okay, we'll do that. Okay. Well, that's going to take some getting over. Okay, um, I've got uh, a story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm subsiding into my chair now. Uh, it's just reminding me of when I found um, I found multiple letters in my childhood um, and I noticed that they all had the same handwriting. Okay. And I remember going to my mum and dad and saying, why does the Easter Bunny have the same handwriting as the Tooth Fairy oh, no. and Santa? And the next year... <laughs> Strangely left-handed handwriting. Isn't it? Oh, goodness me. Oh, goodness. Okay, so um, my story actually is not my own um and it's actually not and then what pod's own they are um they're going to tell you a story of a teacher and uh, this is just a great example of where kids they're kind of being naughty and anarchic but you can't help but laugh at the ingenuity and yeah they're just wonderful the things that they do to uh, get one over on the teacher is quite fantastic um but actually it's all about books and their love of reading so have a listen see what you think in eighth grade i used to read a lot during class Mm -hmm. at the time i was reading an artemis fowl book and for some reason i had two copies of the same book it happens yeah so one day in my english class we were reading this other book which i'd already finished reading three days earlier and i was reading my own book and we were all kind of like they were all taking it in turns to read out when it was finally my turn to read i had no idea where we were Mm -hmm. so the teacher took my book away i found my spot read the part and passed it to the next person to start reading after I'd read my part, I took out my second copy of Artemis Fowl and picked up right where I left off. Skip a few minutes ahead, gets back to my turn to read, and again, I don't know where we are. So the teacher takes a look at me, sees the Artemis Fowl book in my hands, and looks back to her desk, and she's like, what? That <laughs> <laughs> she shrugs it off, uh, takes the second book, puts it on her desk, and then makes me read my part. <laughs> now, my friend that sat two chairs down from me was also reading the Artemis Fowl book at the same time as me. With a quick look to him, he knew exactly what I was planning. He took it out and passed it over without hesitation. I opened to a random spot and just pretended like I was reading just to mess with my teacher. So skip forward again. My teacher sees me with the book and says, how many of those do you have? I gave my smart-ass remark as, enough. (laughs) She took away that book too. At this point, I was out of books and the rest of the class knew it. 
but the teacher didn't know I was out. <laughs> so she continued with the lesson, everyone reading the book, and another friend of mine took two of the, her books and switched out the two of the Artemis books on her desk <laughs> to make it look like they were still there. The books passed slowly around the room, one at a time, until they were back to me. I took one out, opened to a random spot, and just kept it open, waiting to get caught. I silently signalled to a few people in class they started laughing. The teacher looked at what they were laughing at and saw me with yet another book. She looked at her desk, where there were seemingly three Artemis books, and saw me with a fourth. So she took it, walked back to her desk, put it down, turned around, and saw me with a second book that had just got to my desk. At this point, the teacher was like, okay, I'm going to win this game. She (laughs) underestimated my teamwork with my classmates. So she came over to take the seemingly fifth book. Another classmate took the two books from her desk and split them up, sending one to me one way and another over another way. The teacher was very flustered and laughing hysterically at this point, (laughs) and there was no more teaching going on. The entire class was going ballistic, trying to see who would win. It was just a game of, how many books does this one eighth grader have? (laughs) At the end of the class... She thought she had taken 11 books from me. (laughs) I took pity on her and told her what was really happening um, and about all the teamwork. And we were both laughing and making jokes. (laughs) And in the end, she agreed to let me read my own book as long as I kept track of the actual book we were reading. Yeah. Oh, that is wonderful. Isn't that good? Such a wholesome story. (laughs) I love that so much. That's wonderful. Uh, oh utterly delightful i don't know what's funnier the story or listening to becky and amy laughing at it particularly amy's laugh that is one of my favorite things about that (laughs) podcast is the strange laugh oh it gets me every time but i mean uh well you 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 just can't blame them really (laughs) no not all mischief by the pupils is uh is terrible and to be crushed i quite like some of the things the kids used to do to me when i was teaching yeah and i think it makes a a wider point that you know there are some things that you just can't plan for and sometimes when funny things happen in lessons you know as long as you're not derailed too much from the learning it's it's worth showing your human side and having a bit of a laugh with your pupils i just love that image of the teacher just giving in (laughs) definitely sometimes you just got to give in haven't you in this job you have you have so that's it i think tom there we go short and sweet but it's only half term it's only a week's holiday so you get a short podcast for this one yeah just a short (laughs) one but hopefully that's given you um some things to think about and it's given you a bit of a laugh and um we wish you a really restful uh final few days of of this half term break or a nice weekend if you're listening anywhere else in the world that doesn't have half term yes we'll be back with a literacy double bill the next month of uh, episodes is all about literacy oh yes really looking forward to re-listening to yeah. those we, we recorded those quite a long time quite ago, didn't a while we? ago we got our first pupil guests in the next one so that'll be quite exciting oh yeah i've got my uh, got my eye on them for our, our, our next prime ministers maybe a, a joint role excellent okay and uh, yeah enjoy the rest of your break and we will see you soon bye, bye. That was Emma and Tom's PGCE podcast, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. This episode was brought to you by Oliver Berkman, Miss KP10, Cedar Hill Elementary School, and our friends at And Then What, the podcast all about stories. We hope you enjoy the rest of your half-term break and return refreshed for the run-up to the festive season. Whatever you do, don't mention Santa. We're off to put a Kanban board up in the podcast studio. Until next time, take care and enjoy teaching. 